Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, I'm speaking with Gabe Brown. Gabe is one of the pioneers of the current soil health movement, which focuses on regeneration of our resources. Today, we're discussing his book, Dirt to Soil, One Family's Journey into Regenerative Agriculture. Gabe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doctor. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. So what inspired you to put this book together? Well... After my wife and I went on this journey, so to speak, in this long path about learning about regenerative ag and connecting soil health to human health, I keep getting requests to come and speak and share my story, share my story. And when I was sharing it with farmers and ranchers, they're always really hesitant and they don't think it can be done. And so I decided to write this book just to show them that it can be done and there's many positive benefits, not only for the farmer and rancher, but for society as well, if more of us go down this path. Well, I, I, I want to thank you for putting that together. I, I did a show last year on um, regenerative agriculture, and it, it was eye-opening for me. I had been exposed to some of it, but I didn't understand all of it, being a city girl. And, you know, I live in, in Alberta, and there's a lot of farmers here. We're very much cowboy country here. And, you know, I, I treat a lot of people who, who are using pesticides, and, you know, it just makes me cringe to know that they're doing that. But their comment is always that there's no other choice and um, you know I'm not a farmer so I can't I can't really tell them otherwise but I just wish that that they would pick up your you know books like yours and um, and make those changes because anytime I hear about it and read about it it just is so amazing what it does for you as well it's not just a switch into not using pesticides you are making more money and you're more successful and your food is healthier and it's amazing what happens that's right and and you know, unfortunately, in today's production model, much of agriculture has become disassociated with the consumer, the end user of their products. And I really try to impose on farmers and ranchers that what they're doing on their operation has a direct impact on people's health, not only their own, but those who buy their products as well and the end users. And, and like I try and tell them it affects their children and grandchildren and through epigenetics, future generations to come. And so I encourage them to look at everything they're doing on their operation and think of it in the bigger picture. So I want to look at, at the, the bigger, well, the, the picture for you, because you obviously didn't start out with this. Um, and you actually didn't even start out as a farmer. It was something you chose to do, which most people, you know, farming is in their blood and in their family. What drew you in into farming? <laughs> it's a long story, but to keep it short, when I was in the ninth grade, there was a vocational agriculture class at the school, and I always enjoyed the outdoors, and I took that class, and I just became enthralled with everything agriculture. I couldn't learn enough, and 
and I took all the agricultural classes I could and, and then started working on farms when I was in high school. And, and then I got lucky enough when I was in college, I fell in love with a farmer's daughter who said she wanted to marry a city kid in order to get off the farm. And little did she know I'd lead her back to it. So, so we were fortunate that her parents, uh, uh, farmed and we were able to purchase part of the operation from them. Um, what, you know, we, we tell the story in your book, and then when you took over, um, you, in some way, you were kind of thrown into um, what you're doing now. But can you tell us about your first years in farming? Sure. So my wife and I, after we finished college, we moved on to her parents' operation. I farmed alongside my father-in-law for period of about seven years and I learned from him because I didn't really know how to farm and ranch. I read about it in books, but unless you're there doing it, you, you don't really learn. Well, my father-in-law was very entrenched in the conventional mindset where you use fertilizers and pesticides and you till the soil. And and so that's the practices I, I learned. And so after purchasing the operation from them, we farmed that way for a couple of years. And then I had a good friend of mine who had moved into what's called no-till. And no-till is where you do not turn the soil over like with a plow and, and you don't bury the residue and see this black soil. You leave it intact and you use this specific implement, which all it does is make a thin slice in the soil to deposit the seed. But this way it doesn't disturb the soil so the soil isn't prone to wind erosion and water erosion. So it just made sense to me, but being a beginning farmer, I couldn't afford that expensive piece of equipment unless I sold something. So I sold all my tillage equipment, went 100% in a no-till, and so I tell people I was bought in. There was no turning back. So I started going no-till. Well, then what happened, 1995, we lost 100% of our crop to a hailstorm. And that's pretty devastating when you're a young farmer starting out. 1996 came along and we lost 100% of the crop to hail again. 1997 came along while well, the banker wasn't, you know, going to loan me money anymore. So I was trying to do it uh, just with off-farm income. My wife and I both took off-farm jobs to pay bills. And 1997 was a major drought in the Northern Plains and we dried out, never combined an acre. 1998 come along and I tell people, God bless me with another hailstorm. And we lost 80% of our crop to hail. And I tell people, even though those were four extremely difficult years to live through, it was absolutely the best thing that could have happened to me. Because what was really happening is I was no longer able to buy all these synthetic inputs, the fertilizers and the herbicides and pesticides. And so I had to, to learn all over again, how can I farm without those things? And what I really learned then was that to study nature and how natural ecosystems function. And I tell people it's been a, it's been a wonderful nearly 30 year journey now as to learning how ecosystems function, how I can not only make a profit at it, but how we truly can produce nutrient dense, healthy food in a way that's good not only for us as farmers and ranchers, but also for society and those who consume our products as well. Well, you know, I, I um, your your story parallels well. It, it parallels 
parallels mine in, in a different way. Mine was a, a health journey and a health crisis that brought me into treating people and um, and then now, of course, speaking about it. And, and yours is the same way. It was... It, 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 it's unfortunate that we have to have these crises to actually look at that we need change. Um, but but I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that, that this happened to you. And, you know, you're, you're speaking about it in the same way that this made you look at things in a different way and has now made, of course, you more profitable and healthier and, and all sorts of things. And, of course, now you're sharing this with everybody so that we can make a, a broader um, change in our society, which is amazing. You're exactly right. Unfortunately, many of my friends who have gone down this same path, like you and myself, we were forced into it. And one of the reasons I wanted to share this story is to to tell people, don't be forced into it. You can make a difference, a real difference in not only your own lives, but the lives of others as well if you make this change. Um, so it, it, would you find that there is a lot of resistance to to hear about this change? Um, like, you know, I, I know we're all set in our ways. So when you go in and speak to farmers and try to tell them to, to do the exact opposite of what they're doing, how open are they to hearing about this? That's a great question. And, <laughs> you know, I've been for the past 15 years plus, I've been sharing my story Uh, It's getting to be more and more all the time. And I tell people when I first started, there would be a, for instance, a soil conservation district that would have me come and speak. And a handful of people that showed up would show up at those events. Well, it's kind of like a snowball starting to roll downhill. Now we're bringing all facets together. And it's not only farmers and ranchers, but but it's consumers as well. It's clergy. It's our schools. And it's not uncommon for me to go speak now and see 300, 500, or 1,500 people showing up at these things. And there's many reasons because of it. You know, everything from the lower prices that farmers are receiving for, for their products, so they're strapped financially, and the consumers are coming to listen about it because they want to learn more about healthy food, and there's a uh, move real movement going on to know your farmer, know where your food comes up from. And then those who are really interested in the environment, you know, this all ties together. Right now we have way too much carbon up in the atmosphere and not, not enough cycling on our soils. And with regenerative agriculture, we can take that carbon out of the atmosphere and put it in the soil. So all these facets are coming together and there's real momentum now in from people, let's make a change. Let's do something different. The old model is not working. We need to look at something else. So do you find now when, when you're doing these talks that it's a little bit different? It's not people that were desperate like you are, but people who just want to make the change. Has that changed over the years? Yes, that's right. That's right. And And... You know, one of the things also, you know, I know it's a bit different in Canada, but here in the United States, a lot of it's tied towards federal farm programs and and uh, with uh, money becoming tighter and tighter in our federal governments, uh, they're also telling people to make a change. And, you know, I have uh, several uh, banks that have asked me this year to come speak for them, and they said, Regenerative ag, we as bankers see as the future 
for our farmers and ranchers. So please come do these talks for us and help educate them. So there's a lot of facets, as I said, coming together to drive this change. So um, with these changes, the first thing you talked about is uh, no-till farming. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so to no-till means we're not going to disturb the soil as much. And I tell people one of the principles of a healthy soil ecosystem is least amount of mechanical disturbance possible. Where in nature do you see tillage? Well, earthworms till the soil, but we don't take the soil and turn it upside down. That isn't natural. It leaves it prone to wind erosion and water erosion and evaporation and all of this. And I tell people, use this analogy. If you hold up a sheet of paper, the thickness of that sheet of paper, which isn't very much, is the equivalent of one ton of topsoil per acre. So on a windy day, it's not uncommon to have enough erosion to equal the thickness of a sheet of paper. Well, topsoil is kind of like skin on the apple. You know, it protects the apple. And, and without that, what's going to happen? Well, the apple's going to degrade. Well, same with, our, with our, our soil. If we lose that precious topsoil, the wind erosion and water erosion, we're not going to be able to grow food. And, you know, obviously that's critical. So to no-till means to not disturb it. And there is the technology and equipment today that can actually go into these fields and with minimal disturbance be able to put seed in the ground. Um, so, so when we're when we do till, um, I remember in your book, you you um, your father-in-law, you were learning from him before you took over everything, and and he said you have to till so that you dry out the soil, and you know little bells went off in the back of her head, although it didn't quite connect, I think, at that time. But um, it, is that what people think that they need to do is to till so that the soil dries out? Is that the thought? Well, I think mainly people tilled in order to get seed in the ground. Now, farmers, if it's a wet spring, want to till to dry it out so they can get in and seed their crop. But the tillage was more something that was done, and I'll use the analogy of a garden. You know, most people with gardens, they go out and they rototill that garden up, and then they plant their vegetables and that. Well, if you truly understand how nutrients move throughout the soil, Tilling is one of the worst things you can do if you're concerned about human health and the nutrient density of what you're eating because there's what's called a nutrient cycle, and I'll just briefly explain this. Plants take in CO2 out of the atmosphere, carbon dioxide, through photosynthesis. We all learned about this in biology. It's converted into amino acids and sugars and all these other compounds. A plant uses part of that for growth, but part of it then is exuded into the soil to attract biology. And the biology comes, feeds on all those compounds, but as it runs its life cycle and is consumed by protozoa and nematodes, they excrete nutrients and that's the nutrients used by plants. If you go in and till the soil, like we would rototill a garden, you're going to destroy that nutrient cycle. Therefore, the plants that are being produced, and I don't care if we're talking about a crop such as canola or or wheat, or if we're talking about a tomato or carrot in your garden, 
is going to be lower in nutrient density. It won't be as healthy. And that directly affects our health and the health of anyone who consumes those products. Well, this is really important because we're also looking at a, a huge health crisis. You know, our kids are sicker than than we are. And, um, you know, it comes down to our food. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with our food, but this is, is one of them. And, um, you know, we really do need this major shift and this major awareness to change, you know, what, what's going on and what we're eating and our, and our nutrients. So, um, um, you know, I, I feel like this is very, very important for us right now. It is. And, and I use this, and of course, this is just ballpark numbers, but it's very hard to find good data on the nutrient density of the foods we're produ- being produced today. But there are some studies out there that show if you were to compare what we're consuming today to that produced in 1940, you would have to eat twice as much meat, three times as much fruit, and four times as much vegetables. And the reason for that, I'm, I'm not going to blame farmers and ranchers for all of this, but a large part of the reason the nutrient density has declined is because of how we've degraded our soils. And I think that's one of the key things behind the movement to know your farmer and know where your food comes from. You know, is the, the person who's producing that you go to the farmer's market and buy those vegetables from, are they using these regenerative practices? Because if they're out there tilling the soil and still applying herbicides and pesticides, it's not going to be nutrient-dense food. The only way we're going to get truly nutrient-dense food is if we use regenerative practices so we have a healthy ecosystem and the biology is being able to cycle those nutrients and that plant then can have all these plant secondary metabolites, these phenols and alkaloids and everything else that we need in our bodies to be healthy. Mm. Um, Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Gabe Brown and we're discussing his book, Dirt to Soil. We'll be back shortly. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
888-346-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Gabe Brown, and we're discussing his book, Dirt to Soil. So, Gabe, I just want to talk about a little bit why I think that this topic is so important. Um, we talked about this on the break a little bit, but, um, you know, I I have chronic Lyme. I'm, I, it's in remission at the moment, but one of the things that is making Lyme and, and other illnesses so rampant and becoming an epidemic is actually climate change. And, you know, the practices that you're talking about about are working on reversing what the damage that we've done and and I and not only that of course it's important to have good quality food I mean if we have to eat you know that what you said before the break a lot more of the the vegetables and the meat to get the nutrients that we need there is something wrong with what we're doing you know we can't just um, eat to get full we have to eat to be healthy as well that's exactly right. And I challenge all farmers and ranchers, as I said earlier, to think of food as health. What they're doing is directly affecting not only their own health, but the health of others as well. And I'll give you this little story here. Um, last year, I was on a radio show with a uh, radio station out of California, and I was being interviewed as to regenerative practices. And they had a... a lady on who was with the California Department of Agriculture, and they asked her, well, what do you think of Gabe's practices? And she said, well, we can never do that. We have to fumigate our lettuce fields before we harvest them to make sure everything's dead. And I I couldn't help it. I had to interrupt her, and I said, you mean you want to fumigate and kill everything? And so my children and grandchildren are going to eat that product that's been fumigated? This is just crazy. You know, why, why would you even consider doing that? And one of the issues we're having with human health is people are becoming so removed from being out and working with the soil. And the biology in the soil is closely related, related to our, our gut microbiome. And in order to restore human health, the gut of our, the, the biology in our gut, we have to restore the biology in the soil first. And when we do that, we will actually be able to mitigate a lot of these effects that we're seeing from climate change. 
Well, I, I did a series of shows last year with uh, David Montgomery and his wife, Anne Bilkey. And um, one of the, the, t- the topics in that, of course, was the microbiome in the human body and the microbiome in the soil and the overlap there and the damage that we have done to both of them. And, and what you're doing is repairing the microbiome of the earth, of the soil. Um, you know, you're, you're getting the bugs to grow back and, and you're doing all these things that make it so much healthier. And, and I think that that's important for us as we understand the microbiome of our body to also look at this this overlap and that we need these bugs we don't even understand a lot about it and and we need it to be healthy that's exactly right and dr david montgomery and i are working on collecting data on from my ranch and we want to prove to people that healthy soil equates to healthy plants then healthy animals and healthy people and a healthy environment as well. And we have to get back and look at how nature functioned. You know, before there was so much of man trying to impose his or her will on nature. We have to look at how that was functioning. And if you really go back and study human health, you know, humans as a collective, we're much healthier. We're seeing a whole different uh, array of disease and chronic illness today. Well, we have to look at what caused that. Well, what caused that was our impact that we're making on the environment. We have to go back and regenerate it in order so we can begin to restore human health. Yeah, definitely. So in your book, you lay out the five principles of soil health. What is that? Yeah, so what what I found over time, and it wasn't just me, it was many others, that if you really study how a healthy natural ecosystem is, there's five principles that occur anywhere on land. The first one is, I mentioned, at least amount of mechanical and chemical disturbance possible. Because in nature, you just don't see tillage unless there was a typhoon or a flood or something like that, besides earthworm and biology tillage, of course. Second principle is armor on the soil surface. And, you know, nature is always trying to get keep the soil covered. You know, so many farmers go out there and they till a field and then what happens? Some weeds come up, well, they go till it again. Well, nature is just trying to tell you that it wants that skin covered so that soil is not prone to wind erosion, water erosion, evaporation. The third principle is diversity. And I use this as an example. My son for five years taught rangeland or pasture management at the local community college. And he had his students come out to one of our quote unquote native pastures and they, in a two hour time frame, they collected over 140 different species of grasses, forbs and legumes. Well, that's a tremendous amount of diversity. You know, that landscape there is collecting maximum amount of sunlight, bringing carbon out of the atmosphere, through photosynthesis, pumping it into the cycle in the soil, thus feeding a myriad of biology, and then look at above ground too, say a cow comes along and she has access to 140 different plants to eat, that's going to improve her health as well, just like us eating a healthy diet. Diversity is best. The fourth principle is living root in the ground in the soil as long as possible throughout the year. 
you know, you're in a northern environment, but further north than I am, you know that spring of the year, you'll still have some snow, but there's actually plants starting to poke out through the snow. Nature wants living roots in the soil as long as possible. In production agriculture today, most farmers, they, they grow a cash crop, and then that field sits idle. There's no living plants cycling that carbon that's needed to, to build soil health. And then the fifth principle is that nature does not function properly without animals. We re- we've removed many of the animals and insects from the landscape and instead put them in confinement, feedlots or dairies or hog barns or poultry barns. That's not how nature functions. I tell people in my book that when I was in the conventional mindset, I used to wake up every day trying to figure out what I was going to kill that day. Was it going to be a weed? Was it going to be a pest? Was it going to be a fungal disease? I was going to kill something. Now today I wake up every day trying to figure out how do I get more life on my operation. And it's much, much more enjoyable and profitable working with life than it is with death. Well, you know, it, it definitely does. And as you were talking about this, I was thinking about your um, your son's chickens and how you have them in a little trailer and then you move the trailer around and let them run free everywhere. Yes. Uh, my son, when he, he, I'll never forget when he was in college and he, he called me on the phone one evening and at that time I only had beef cattle and he says, you know, Dad, You go around preaching diversity to everybody, but yet the only species of livestock we have is beef cattle. He said, I want chickens and pigs and sheep, and he's got all these. And what he did, he took uh, an old stock trailer used to move uh, cattle around, and he retrofitted that, put some roosts in there and some nest box and a water in there. And and now we've pulled those. He's actually has a fleet of nine of them. And this summer, he had 1,400 laying hands out on pasture, and those laying hands are free to go wherever they want. They can travel 20 miles if they want to, but they don't. They stay next to the near those those egg mobiles, and and they go in at night, and a little solar uh, uh, light sensitive door closes, and they're in there during the night, safe from predators. And during the day, they go out and forage, and they produce highly nutrient-dense eggs. I mean, anyone who has one can tell that that this is how an egg should be. And besides that, the chicken gets to lead a a healthy life, you know, out there being a chicken, doing what chickens do. Well, you know, I, I, I loved your story in your book about your eggs and somebody, I think it was from National Geographic, was on your land and challenged the difference. And you had them go yeah. buy eggs and crack the two. And my, my mom has chickens, so I've had straight up, you know, very spoiled chickens, and I know what those eggs should be like. So it made me smile reading that, knowing that uh, what you showed him was a way better quality egg than what he bought in the store. Yes, and you can actually visually visually see it you know the eggs from a a pastured hen are bright orange in color and they're much more solid not as runny and then if you do the nutrient analysis on them it's actually quite amazing as to the difference and you know just like uh, my cattle having access to all those different plants chickens have access to they they're omnivores they eat both both plant-based material and uh, any insects they can catch. 
that's a healthy diet for them, and it's going to show through in the quality of the eggs they produce. So while we're on the topic of animals, you have more than than chickens on your property. And how, you know, a lot of people do talk about how cattle is actually what's destroying our, our, like, causing climate change. Um, Is is that something you agree with, or is it just how we're dealing with the cattle? I tell people this. A cow has never, ever done anything to destroy the climate. What's destroyed the climate is our management of those cows. Management makes the difference. Think of it this way. You know, 300 years ago, bison covered the Great Plains of North America all the way well into Canada. There was bison everywhere. And there's differences in figures as to how many bison there were, but certainly there were more bison at one time than there are beef animals and and dairy animals today on North America. So that throws that whole uh, debate out the window. The other thing they never talk about is there's actually bacteria called methanotrophs. Methanotrophs are on the soil surface, and when that uh, ruminant belched out methane, that methanotrophs would eat the methane. Well, as long as you have animals out grazing and have a healthy environment, that's taking place. Where it does not take place is in the feedlots and confinements where we have those animals today. So I tell people, you know, I use that story to tell them we have to get away from this. And also you have to realize what were those bison doing? They they moved in large herds across the plains and then they would take a bite of a plant. Once that plant is bitten, that plant then starts sending signals root exudates out through the root in order to uh, regrow. Well, if a plant's regrowing, it's going to be cycling more carbon, bringing more carbon out of the atmosphere into the soil. So if we truly want to mitigate climate change, we need to have animals out on the landscape so that natural process can occur. Well, you know, it does make sense. I mean, we used to have bison running around, and now we don't have anything um, like that running around, um, you know, that nat- like naturally on its own. We just have the cattle and the horses and stuff that people have. Um, but, you, you know, you... you, you um, you do talk about it in your book about how you changed your your cattle practices, um, and and so what exactly is it that you do now that's different than what you used to do? So I used to be in the same uh, industrialized, commoditized mindset. I had my animals in a corral, my cows were in a corral uh, all winter. I would feed them grain. I'd feed the the calves grain. You know, we'd spend all summer putting up hay, then we'd haul it and have to feed it every day, burning fossil fuels, and then we'd have to haul the manure out of the corral. Once spring came, we took the cattle out of the corral, put them out on pasture, did what was called set stocking, just put so many cattle in each pasture for the entire summer. Well, then I realized and my thought process evolved. Well, I noticed my pastures, what happens when an animal is out there it will select, the cow will select which plant it likes to eat. Okay, it'll bite that plant off. If there's good moisture, that plant will start regrowing in about three days. 
what's going to happen? That cow's going to say, I like that plant. I'm going to bite it again. Well, after doing that a number of times, pretty soon that plant becomes weak and dies, and then less desirable species of plants move in. I noticed that happening in my pastures. Then I get studying, okay, how come we had such healthy grasslands on the, on the northern plains centuries ago? It was because the animals moved, they grazed, then they were being pushed by predators. They'd go, the, the plant species would recover. Then, after time, the animals would come back. Maybe it was a year later, maybe two years later. We needed to give rest and recovery. So now, today, what I do, our animals are always out on pasture. They're never in confinement. They're allowed to graze a plant. We move them daily to a different, to a different pasture. Then that pasture is allowed on our operation, and it's different. This is going to be a little different everywhere according to people's environment, but we allow 12 to 15 months of recovery time to each pasture. That allows all these plant species to thrive. We have very diverse plant community and we have healthy soil with plenty of carbon in it, a lot of biology. The animals are much, much healthier. We don't on our operation. We've been able to eliminate all vaccinations, all wormers, because naturally it's being taken care of by their diet and by how they're being moved. The animals are much, much healthier. We are making considerably higher profit now in this new production model, and we're producing grass-finished beef, which, of course, as we all know, are higher in omega-3s and CLAs and, and many other nutrients and fatty acids that are needed to ensure good human health as well. Which is definitely what we want. And of course, I mean, even if you just look at the fact you're making more money, plus you're contributing to making people healthier and and the planet healthier as well, which is amazing. That's what we want. And that's how it should be. Yep, exactly. And, and it all goes to show that in a natural, a healthy functioning ecosystem, it's not only good, as I said, for the farmer and rancher, but for the environment in the end consumer as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Gabe Brown and we're discussing his book, Dirt to Soil. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. We're on the pulse of the world with great shows and hosts. The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel is also on Twitter. We've got ideas to keep you healthy, breaking health news, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Voice AM Health. That's at Voice AM Health. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Oh, 
are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Gabe Brown, and we're discussing his book, Dirt to Soil. So, Gabe, can you um, explain to us what cover crops are and why they're important? Sure. One of the principles of soil health is diversity. And so many farmers, they only want to grow a few specific cash crops, such as wheat, such as canola, such as hay. But the way they can add diversity into their operation is with cover crops. So I tell people cover crops are really biological primers. What we're trying to do is to add diversity to that ecosystem. So I tell them either before a cash crop, you know, after, obviously where you're at in, in uh, Alberta there, there's not time following a cash crop to plant the cover crop but you can certainly add them in in place of a cash crop. And then the, the, the obvious question I'm going to get from farmers is, well, how do you make a profit at that? Well, you make a profit by regenerating the soil. The cover crop will cycle carbon. It'll cycle all these nutrients. It'll jumpstart uh, soil biology and the nutrient cycle. And then we're also able to graze those cover crops with livestock. All those are a win-win situation for producers because it'll lower their uh, the amount of synthetic fertilizer they need. It will lower the amount of pesticides. It'll lower the amount of herbicides that they use, thus keeping more dollars in their pocket. And if they graze it with livestock, they'll be able to actually make dollars off that. So more or less what we're doing with cover crops is we're trying to accelerate biological time. If you would plant just one species of crop on a field, you're only going to collect so much sunlight in that because there's only so much leaf size and shape. If you plant a diverse cover crop mix, you're going to speed this up and you're going to collect a lot more sunlight. You're going to really get more carbon into your system and it'll significantly improve your bottom line over time. Well, which is what we want. I mean, of course, we want healthier soil. But, you know, um, one thing that I think you don't think about as a consumer, we talk about how bad pesticides are, but they also cost farmers money. So, you know, and you that was one of the things that was a turning point for you. You just didn't have the money for the pesticides. And um, really, it, it costs money. We're destroying our soil. We're destroying our food. Um, they it, We should be doing as much as possible not to use them. That, that's exactly right. And there's some startling information that recently came out. For instance, in Eastern Europe, they, there was a study done, and in the last 25 years, they've lost over 70% of the, the diversity in insect species that they had. Well, people might say, ah, it's an insect. But, you know, bees are considered an insect, are an insect too. We need bees to pollinate all of our crops, insects are very, very beneficial. And 
I tell farmers this. A good friend of mine, Dr. Jonathan Lundgren, told me this statistic. For every insect species that's a pest, there's 1,700 that are beneficial. Well, by providing the home and habitat with cover crops, and I plant lots of flowering species, I have enough predator insects that I never have to spray insecticides anymore. We have not used an insecticide on our operation since before the turn of the century. There's no need to because my ecosystem is much healthier. So, you know, I haven't used synthetic fertilizers since 2007. There's no need to because the health of the soil biology is such, it's cycling enough nutrients for me to have profitable crop production. So going down this regenerative path, too many farmers and ranchers think of it, oh, it's going to cost me money. No, no, it'll make you a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I will... I will tell you this story. I have a good friend of mine who is up in the Peace region of Alberta who took his synthetic fertilizer costs from over a million and a half dollars per year down to $127,000. That is a tremendous amount of savings. And he did that over about a six-year time period, you know, weaning himself off of all those expensive synthetics. He will tell you farming and ranching is fun now. It's much, much more profitable as you move down the regenerative path. I can see how that would be very exciting to make, you know, dramatic changes like that and then see, um, you know, just from your story and from, from uh, you know, reading David Montgomery's book, it, it actually almost always will will make your land greener and richer and and you're um, you know not going to be in the the drought situation and all that kind of thing which I think would be very very exciting just to watch something thrive that you have created like that that's right and I have many you know there's thousands of producers all over North America that have gone down this into this production model and the one thing I hear most from them is this has made farming and ranching fun again. And from their wives, I hear their wives telling me, it's so nice to have money in the bank. It's so nice to not have to worry about how, where the next check's going to come from to pay the next bill. And then you look beyond that. It's very, very exciting and rewarding to know that you're offering a truly nutrient-dense product to the consumer. I can definitely see that. Now, one thing you talk about in your book um, that, you know, people are worried about as well um, is the, how much um, water the soil holds. And, and so can you tell us how um, making, the, you know, doing all these practices will change that for your land? Yeah. So often producers think watering is, water is their limiting factor. And I tell farmers and ranchers, it does not matter how much rainfall you get. It matters how much can you infiltrate into your soil and then can be stored there via organic matter. And I tell people, use the analogy of take a jar and fill it with marbles. Well, all those spaces between the marbles, those are pore spaces. The marbles themselves are soil aggregates. You need to first have those pore spaces and soil aggregates so water can infiltrate, and then the organic matter in the soil is what holds the moisture there until such a time the plant needs it. Well, 
I'll use my own farm as an example. When I started farming in 1991, uh, when we bought that place for my in-laws, we could only infiltrate a half of an inch of rainfall per hour. Now, by going down the regenerative path using these five principles, we can now infiltrate an inch of water in nine seconds and the second inch in 16 seconds. So two inches in 25 seconds, where I used to be a half inch per hour. I used to be able to store only about four inches of total water in my four foot soil profile. Now I can store well over 20 inches of water in that same profile. And that makes me very resilient to drought and to all these wide swings in temperature, et cetera. Well, I mean, this sounds amazing. So if people go down this this road, they're going to need less pesticides or none. Um, they're not going to have to water or worry about drought. And then they're going to have healthier food, healthier soil, and healthier animals on their land. That's exactly right. And people say, well, it's it's too good to be true. But in my book, I I, I have a chapter in there where I tell stories on different uh farmers and ranchers all over North America, and there's even uh, one from Alberta in there. There's one from a young couple in Saskatchewan in the book, and and this can happen anywhere. And I urge farmers and ranchers to seek out others who are doing it and learn from them. And then I urge consumers to seek those people out who are producing food in that type of a manner and buy their food from them. So they encourage these practices. So if a, a rancher or farmer is deciding that they want to um, go about doing this, how long would it take them to start to see the benefits? Yes, that's a great question. Thank you for asking it. The benefits are felt almost immediately, but certainly uh, with the clients I consult with, usually they'll try it on one field of land. And I tell them this, commit one field for five years and say, I'm going to use regenerative practices on that field for five years, and then I'm going to reevaluate. Normally what happens by year three, they're moving their entire farm or ranch over to these type of practices. That's how noticeable it is. You'll be able to see the difference in the soil. You'll feel it under your feet. You'll be able to see all the insects and the wildlife. You'll notice that your livestock are healthier, your crops will become healthier, you'll notice less weed pressure, and then if you are growing food on your operation, you'll certainly be able to taste the difference also. Which is amazing, um, and I definitely agree there is a, a difference in the taste and flavor and color and, and food. I mean, we talked about eggs, but also vegetables, because, you know, I buy organic and, and, and seek these things out, and, and I, I definitely notice how much different it is, how much more vibrant and flavorful these foods are. You're right, and I think one of the things today we're seeing in society is the vast majority of consumers do truly do not know what nutrient-dense food tastes like. Dr. Fred Provenza talks about this, that what you're really tasting and what your senses are getting is all these plant secondary metabolites and all these other compounds. It's not just the protein and the, and the carbohydrates, but it's all these secondary compounds. And he said, when you truly have a nutrient-dense 
I don't care if we're talking an apple or a carrot or, or a tomato. When you truly taste that, your body will know that and it'll react differently. This is good. I want some more of it. And unfortunately, the way the current food production model is, we just don't have that any longer. Mm-hmm. So as as a consumer, I mean, I live in a city and I, I don't ranch or farm. Um, what can I do to to make changes to encourage this to happen in my society? I really encourage as many consumers as possible, first of all, have a garden and follow the five principles in your garden as well. So no tillage, no synthetics. Grow what you can yourself. I don't care even if you're in a apartment building. You can do it on a flower pot on the deck of your apartment. But use those practices just so you understand what they're about. And then as you go to a farmer's market, as you go to your supermarket, demand that the products that are being sold there and that you buy are being grown and raised in a regenerative model. Because only through consumer demand can we make a real difference on the landscape and get the majority of farmers and ranchers move down this path to be producing in this type of a production model. I I definitely agree with you. That's a a very good advice. Now, if anybody wants uh, more information about your book or about you, how can they find it? Yes, they can go to brownsranch.us. Or they can look, most of the major bookstores are are carrying my book. They can just Google it online. And then if you want more information on uh, soil health, look at our website, Soil Health Consultants. And we have a wealth of information on there for people to look at as well. Well, thank you so much, not only for joining me today, but just for spreading the word um, and sharing what what you learned the hard way. Hopefully that that makes it easier for everyone else. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure being with you today. And I want to um, thank everybody for listening today. If you want more information about my story, be sure to go to my blog site at dr-grisk.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, or your favorite social media platform. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.